I had severe abdominal pain. And they asked where I had been, what was the last hospital that I had been at, and I couldn't remember. And then finally, after you know, 20, 30 minutes, I remembered, not a worry, they have an alliance, they can have access to that information. Two hours go by, and they still did not have access to the relevant information that they needed. Eight hours later, they still had no idea. I had to come back to see a specialist the following day. And if at that time they had Medicom, I would have been out of that hospital within 30 minutes. Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of the Founder Shares podcast. I'm so happy that you've chosen to spend some time with us. I'm your host, Trevor Schmidt. I'm an attorney at the Hutchison Law Firm in Raleigh, North Carolina. We work with founders and entrepreneurs as they execute on their vision and push past every obstacle that comes along the way. We are inspired by their incredible stories of ingenuity, perseverance, hard work, and sometimes just plain luck. We at Hutchison get to see this every day through our work, helping technology and life science companies start up, operate, get funded, and exit. But we want to share some of these stories with you. So whether you're already up and running with your business, or are still just dreaming about one day starting a company and turning your passion project or side hustle into a real business, well, this podcast is for you. On the Founder Shares podcast, we hear from founders and investors about their journeys, the keys to their success, the lessons they learned along the way, and the advice that they'd like to share with others. Today's guest is Malcolm Bennett, co-founder of Medicom Technologies. Medicom is a company that provides a federated health information network connecting disparate silos of health data to help ensure that doctors and other patient care providers have all the information they need to make the best and fastest decisions. You may be going, wait a minute, a federated health information network? What's that all about? Well, think about it. How many different doctors have you seen over the course of your lifetime? How many different offices? How many different places across the country? Where are those health records stored? It may be everything from paper records from when you were a kid to digital records that are stored in multiple different sites and multiple different computers. So how do you get all of that information to the right place at the right time when an important decision needs to be made? It's been a huge pain point, And it's one that Malcolm and the team at Medicom said, you know what, we can fix this. We came across a tremendous challenge that an oncology group was having by making sure that they could have access to a patient's medical images and reports, and especially in oncology. I mean, oncology patients see a wide spectrum of providers throughout their episode of care. You know, they were utilizing archaic methods such as faxing. They were burning images on CDs. They had hired couriers to actually transport these CDs between them and their partner sites, and then utilizing one-off scenarios with cloud solutions, but they're very similar as to like Dropbox, where the only way you're going to have access to that information is if the other provider uploads it for you. And it created a tremendous burden on them. They have to be able to interpret that information of their prior exams, their prior reports, and understand that to be able to do real analysis on that patient's care and to provide the the best decisions moving forward for that patient. And so that was a tremendous opportunity that we saw. We saw it as really similar to the early days of the internet, right? Malcolm and fellow co-founders Michael Rosenberg and Chase Ballard were still in college at NC State when they saw this opportunity. 
They had no direct experience in the medical field at the time, but they learned firsthand from medical providers such as Michael's father what was really needed, and they put their tremendous technical skills to work solving the problem. Today, Medicom is a five-year-old company, has raised $6 million in capital, and works with over 350 providers throughout the country. So, so let me make sure I got this right. You guys were sitting around in college, and you're like, you know what? We can tackle this huge, insurmountable problem for oncology right out of, out of undergrad, right? Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. I mean, we really rolled up our sleeves, and we really were adamant that we felt that that approach with the federated model was really the the solution that healthcare needed to be able to have an interoperable way of having access to outside relevant information. And it was something that even human health services has brought to light in recent years with meaningful use is the tremendous challenge. You know, they've stated that one in 10 providers have access to the patient's outside information. And because of that lack of ability to have that insight, it actually accounts for about $525 billion of unnecessary expenses each year to our healthcare. And that is larger than the DOD's budget. And so that is really the tremendous drive that we saw was we can really tackle this inefficiency in healthcare and to drive up that value-based care that our industry of healthcare in the United States has been uh, moving towards in the recent years. I mean, those are just kind of amazing figures. And and I just I want to know kind of once you had this idea and, and knew the problem was out there, how, how do you how do you get started? How do you go about tackling that that big of an issue? Yes. Yeah, so my partner Michael Rosenberg, he is from originally Tucson, Arizona, and his father was an oncologist. What we started doing was going out there and interacting with the providers in Arizona and to really start to see and understand and even get them to use the early stages of the of the platform. And from there, you know, we focused initially on radiology because medical images were the biggest pain point of having access and sharing those medical images across providers. And so we initially focused on radiology and then, you know, providers needed the reports as well. So we expanded into reports. And then from there, we expanded to capturing a much wider bandwidth of clinical information for that physician to have access. Interesting. So in those early days, was it just you three founders of part of the company or was it a, a bigger team? And, and how, did you, how did you start to grow? Yeah. So we had Chris and Jason, who were our first two developers uh, as part of the team. And then what we really did was bootstrapped it. You know, that was in 2015. We went through the Citrix Innovators Program. And then we did a angel note round in the summer of 2016, which allowed us to make a couple additional hires to the team and really focus on building out the platform as well as growing out the health information network in the Southwest of the United States. And so what were some of those early challenges that you had as a young company and as you started to grow? In the early days, I would say balancing school. Uh, that was probably trying to walk out with a degree. Uh, my senior year was definitely uh, required a lot of balancing. Even after you know graduating NC State, you know, really uh, for us was 
to grow the network was our biggest focus. And, you know, really the value of the network is in its participants. And mm -hmm. so for us, it was making sure that we were providing the best service possible and understanding their workloads because we never want to create something that adds an additional step for them. We're looking to automate as much of that process is. And so for us, we're doing our analysis, understanding the customer, and you know, really what the providers need to make them have the best tools at their disposal to provide the best care. As a young team, it was being a sponge, absorbing all that information and making sure that that came out in the end result when we implemented at their facilities. Yeah, and I've got to imagine that working with large institutions like a healthcare institution and given the nature of the data that you're dealing with, I mean, trust and security has to be a big issue. How do you, as a young company, how do you get these big institutions to, to really kind of trust you? And I don't want to say take a gamble, but just provide this information to a young company. Yeah, at the core of Medicom is our technology that our health information network operates. It's a peer-to-peer -peer protocol, and so it is provides a very secure method of transferring information such as PHI in a very secure manner where nobody has the ability to, you know, we're not going through third-party servers or utilizing a cloud solution and storing that data. It's a one-time peer-to-peer tunnel, and once that information's been delivered, that conduit's destroyed. That unique approach alone in, in being able to share information started to capture the attention of some of the larger health systems in the Southwest. And as we were going through security reviews, we, we were all of a sudden starting to get, you know, recommendations and referrals and eventually led to, you know, the Department of Veteran Affairs who, you know, were trying to find ways with the Veterans Choice Act to share information with the private sector providers and uh, we became the the first bed ramp authorized vendor to connect the private sector to the VA and sharing medical images. So again, it's just it's astounding to me the kind of the, the number of hurdles that you would have to face for this type of a company and, and how far you've come and I'm sure it seems like a long time for you but in a relatively short period of time it's just impressive and speaks to, to you and your team. I guess, when was it for you that you felt like, you know, this is really taking off, this really could be something? Was there, was there a single moment that kind of gave you that hope, or has it been just a, a, a growing sense for the company? Yeah, so from the very early stages, I was pretty adamant <laughs> that uh, this was something that was needed in healthcare, and we wouldn't have built this platform if we didn't truly believe in what we were doing from the get-go. And so really where the value started coming in is when we started to, you know, release it out and hearing the stories of the patients and the providers and the impact that we were providing, that really shed a lot of light onto it to hear how the relevancy of having access to health information right there at their fingertips provided a husband the ability to spend additional hours with his wife before their oncology appointment. You know, those key moments where instead he would have been spending going around town, capturing all the CDs and all the, the information from the different providers to take to the oncologist. Now he could spend with his wife. And, you know, that's just one of several different instances of really hearing the impact of 
people and really how is this impacting their day-to-day lives, it really fuels the fire. Yeah, I imagine, especially given the nature of people that you're working with, I mean, healthcare decisions and the treatment decisions that are being made, I mean, it's so critical to people. Have, do you have any kind of stories or experiences of, of how Medicom has kind of helped doctors or healthcare providers make a, a better clinical decision because they had access to records that they didn't have before? Absolutely. We had a, a gentleman who his father-in-law needed to have a second opinion. The second opinion was a challenge to get in New York City uh, over the weekend, and he needed a, a second opinion, but he didn't have really anybody to, to really contact. And so he reached out to an old friend who was a doctor on the West Coast and reached out to him. And he says, you know, I have Medicom, this platform, you can go ahead and I can be able to have access to it. I can take a look at it. And because of that access within moments, that allowed for his physician friend to actually then contact a hospital in New York City and get his father-in-law scheduled and lined up. And it actually ended up striking a chord with that individual to the point that he actually reached out to the company and he became an advisor, participated in our seed round in the early days. And to this day is a great champion for us as a patient because he wholeheartedly believes that because of the platform, we've added several years to his father-in-law's life. That's just amazing. You start to, to get other people to believe in the company as much as you do and as much as your founders do. It really speaks highly to the company. Absolutely. So were there any... I'm, I'm sure there may be, but were there any steps kind of early on that you wish you'd done differently or kind of looking back in hindsight, you're like, you know, if we had done X early on, we could be in a different position than we are today. You know, with the way that we've built, you know, the, the company and the platform, we've learned through our experiences and it's really strengthened us as a whole, reflecting back that we didn't be fully aware of is really the sales cycle in healthcare. And that was something that took a, you know, for us to get accustomed to with understanding the nuances of the health system from going to a security review and through the IT department and then working with their operations team and getting budget approved. You're talking about a sales cycle that is anywhere between 12 to 24 months. Mm. And so for us, we brought in experts, you know, we hired individuals that were experts in their domain to really help build out the company and really to assess and make sure that we were attacking it as the most effective means to make sure that we were continuing to grow the platform. That's great. Now, you, you've talked a couple of times about uh, taking on angel funding or other funding. When did you decide as a company to start looking for outside funding? Yeah. Um, so at the beginning of 2017, our health information network started to grow, not just within Arizona. At that point, we had grown outside of Arizona into New Mexico, California, Texas, Florida. And we started realizing that, you know, <laughs> this required more hands on deck. And to really get us in a position uh, as a health information network, we needed not just one or two, but several hands to be added to the team to really take it to the next level. And that's when we started to look out for a Series A investment. And uh, we initially were looking to raise 
uh, about three million, and uh, we came across a local group here and felt that you know we were probably closer to five million is what we needed, and it was a a very fair terms that you know for us we felt that it was a true partnership that we were entering into, and you know we were able to really take that five million dollar Series A to hire these individuals that had years of experience within certain subsets of our business, you know, bringing in experts in HL7 and, you know, in the nuances of the EMRs to really understanding these archaic IT systems that we were interacting with and really take it to the next level and help now take it from not only the Southwest, but taking it to a national level. Sure. What would you say you've, you've learned through kind of the process of doing fundraising and, and, and closing your Series A's? Yeah, really the big thing that we learned throughout the process was really making sure that we had an understanding of not only the, obviously the technology was there and, and the, the proof of concept, but really having a detailed understanding of exactly where we wanted to go and how we were going to achieve it. I mean, I think that was one of the big things that uh, we excelled at was knowing and being able to define exactly how we were going to take on a certain challenge, you know, with growing the network from the Southwest to the entire United States. It was a challenge that we saw that could not be achieved, you know, take quite a bit of effort internally to do. And that's when we decided to grow our partner channel through our distribution uh, partners to grow the network across several regions in the United States that they already had the relationships there in their local markets. They had the nuances and those kind of points of being able to show exactly how we were going to get from point A to point B and how we were going to utilize that capital to continue to grow the platform and, and the network. I think that really not only instilled and made up for our lack of gray hair, but we also built a great team around us that had the experience that we could rely on, both from advisor board to, you know, the internal team here at Medicom. Now, you mentioned the kind of making up for the lack of gray hair. Is that something that you've had to confront as, as you've grown the company? Is, you know, you all a relatively young group and, and, and kind of just getting started. Is that something you've had to overcome? You know, it is something that <laughs> it really hasn't been, you know, something that, that has been too much of a challenge because with healthcare, it's all about validation and, and making sure that the services that you're providing are actually, at the end of the day, providing the, the value that was promised to the customer. And, and healthcare systems, if it's going to really provide that value of service, they were really receptive to it. You know, they were really receptive to the new unique approach that we were taking on it, but really with how level of detail with us understanding their entire processes and doing an entire discovery, whether it's a, a single hospital to a major IDN of almost 50 hospitals across several states, you know, getting into the understanding of all of their internal processes and where they're, you know, facing unnecessary expenses. And by taking it to that level of detail and care, I think that 
really just negated the the age gap there that they typically see in, in healthcare IT sales. Yeah. No, I, I think that makes sense. If you have technology that works and, and you as a company put in the work to show that you're willing to take the steps that, you know, I'm sure it doesn't matter what age you are as long as, it, you know, you get it done. Yep. Since you've taken on the investment, has it changed kind of your stresses or, or kind of your pressures for your company or, or, or does it just create new opportunities for you? How do, how do you view the taking on the money? It definitely, even from an organization perspective, really matured the processes, you know, from investor relations to the board of directors, as well as the opportunities. Five million really allowed us to grow the team to the size that we needed to build out the distribution partner network, to build out, you know, the platform and continue to build out these automation processes and, and building out that product suite. And that has really allowed us to take on the, the much broader challenge of now taking that initial Southwest market to a national scale. That was a tremendous value to the organization and really acted as a catalyst to bring in those necessary resources to get there. And so for us, we've had a great relationship with the group of investors that came in in the Series A. You know, we had a equity group here that came in and as well as the Wolfpack Investor Network. And so the support from both groups have been tremendous. And, you know, the, the mentorship and guidance has really helped, you know, navigate the waters as we continue to grow the business. And, you know, we're excited with how everything is unfolding and, you know, really looking forward to the next steps with the company. Yeah. And, and so what do you see, you know, you keep talking, you talk about kind of expanding the network kind of outside of the Southwest more nationally. Where, where do you see Medicom maybe in, in five years or even a shorter runway than that? For us, we have really have grown the, the platform itself and really automated a lot of the processes. So, that, you know, if a patient is being discharged and now going to see a specialist, all of that information automatically is already at that physician's internal system. Being able to automate and do patient matching reconciliation for records coming into a health system so that nobody's manually typing that into their EMR or being able to link as an external media within Epic or Cerner and not only automating those processes, but now taking that and being able to provide the insight necessary also for research. One of the big things that, you know, we've really have built out over the last year is, you know, taking that search functionality of relevant clinical information and, you know, utilizing that for research. You know, one of the biggest challenges with AI in healthcare right now is, having access to longitudinal data sets to be able to conduct machine learning and understanding trends. And as AI is developed, you know, it's such a heavy reliance on that relevant, you know, longitudinal data sets mm-hmm. to provide AI that's going to be helpful and relevant for physicians and patients to help not only diagnose, but also throughout their journey of care. And, you know, we took that search functionality and, you know, we allow researchers and, and clinical groups, rather than spending months trying to manually proactively capture these cases that match their criteria 
and spending a fortune in an inefficient process of capturing this data that takes years to, to really curate, we provide the ability for them to search for specific cases exactly to what they're looking for in their research. And we then basically run a federated search for all the opted-in data that's de-identified. So it's not identifiable information, and then they can use for uh, research initiatives. And that cuts down their research time tremendously, cuts out quite a bit of ineffective uh, costs associated to it, but it also really drives the final product of what they're working on, whether it's a pharmaceutical drug or AI. Uh, now, by having that longitudinal understanding and understanding of the trends, their final product and go-to market is much greater than what it was prior. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You got to have the, you know, the size of the data in order to do the research that they're looking to do. So what are, what are some of the big hurdles to uh, kind of accomplishing that goal or, or reaching that point where you have a big enough network to have that valuable data? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the biggest things is really understanding the curation of the data and, you know, having the leverage of the health and existing health information network and then being able to take that information and be able to deposit it into the researcher's environment exactly in accordance to spec of how they have historically looked at the data, you know, for the last 10, 15 years that their AI division has built out. And so it is always a, a learning uh, process as we implement uh, across new research groups and pharmaceutical companies to be able to provide that insight. And so for us, it's now looking out into further years of, okay, if we can be able to provide this level of understanding, now really how can that really drive value for the patient because at the end of the day everybody all parties involved from the health plans the providers the researchers the end result is to improve the outcome of the patient um, throughout their journey and so for us that's always what ties us back to is you know how does this help the patient how can we utilize our platform and suite of products to ensure that the value of care is continuously improved upon and try and drive that efficiency, not only here in the United States, but also across other parts of the, of the world where they are seeing the same challenges. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, you know, we live in, as we all know, pretty unprecedented times right now, um, just both given pandemic that's going on and the state of the economy. How, is, how has that impacted Medicom and, and how, how have you responded to it? Yeah. You know, that's a great question. With COVID-19, really the challenges of having access to outside relevant information for health systems, hospitals, only heightened. It is now more critical than ever as, you know, they're seeing an influx of patients in the ED, being able to have relevant access to information to be able to adequately address that patient's symptoms and understanding their background. And then you know, if they are testing positive COVID-19, if they're getting CT scans and getting that diagnostic data, whether it's to the labs or if they're being transferred to another ICU, you know, being able to provide that information in real time, 
that is something that we've worked diligently over the last few months to ensure that, you know, these hospitals, they've already have faced a lot of pressure uh, with COVID-19. It's something that they've never seen before. And, you know, we're really rolled up our sleeves and tried to make it as, you know, smoothless process as possible of capturing this outside information so that they can get to what they do best. And that's taking care of the patient. Um, and so that's really been the focus on health systems and then the outpatient centers that haven't seen a really saw quite a bit of a drop off from outpatient visits. We've worked with them to ensure that, you know, we could work on different projects and making sure that we can continue to build out these platform suites for them to ensure that they're capturing the, the value. And since they're not seeing as many patients, it's been a great opportunity to work with the directors there at those facilities to continue building out their workflows. But at the end of the day, you know, with COVID-19, we've really have worked. And so as everybody, you know, within the Medicom broader organization, you know, the distribution partners to really address where we can and help alleviate these health systems that are facing a tremendous challenge of treating these patients. And if that we can assist by providing that relevant information so they can, you know, focus to the patient, we're all in on it. And that's what we've been focused on and really growing those health systems that need, really require that need, even if they're under emergency use operations and the budget's frozen. We didn't hold back. It didn't matter for us. It was not driven from a financial means. It never has and it never will be for us. It's value of the journey of care and we wholeheartedly believe in that and you know COVID-19 allowed us to really demonstrate and put you know rubber meets to the road standing by our our values. I was gonna say it sounds like to me that you know COVID-19 hasn't necessarily been a a barrier or interference for the company but rather more of an opportunity to to demonstrate again what you can provide for these healthcare institutions how you can contribute to care. That's exactly right and it has really amplified, you know, the, the need across these organizations uh, to have that access to outside patient information. Because myself, I went to a, a local hospital here, not luckily uh, in the last couple of months, but it was a couple of years ago here in Raleigh, North Carolina, I went to a local hospital and I had severe abdominal pain. And they had asked, how did I know what my initial prognosis was. I was telling them what my opinion as a, somebody who does not have a, a license, but based off my own history, I was being able to provide them some context. And they asked where I had been, what was the last hospital that I had been at, and I couldn't remember. And then finally, after you know, 20, 30 minutes, I remembered it was a hospital in Greensboro. Not a worry, they have an alliance, they can have access to that information. Two hours go by and they still did not have access to the relevant information that they needed. And so they had no visibility. So I had to go in still into the, into the imaging department, get scanned. And, you know, they operated in the dark of understanding, you know, what is the cause for it, how to treat it. And eight hours later, when I left the ED, they still had no idea. I had to come back to see a specialist the following day and they never were able to obtain my information from an outside hospital 
And if at that time they had Medicom, you know, they could have had access to all of my relevant information. I wouldn't even have to recall where I went. And I would have been out of that hospital within 30 minutes. And my insurance bill, instead of being almost $50,000, would have been just a few thousand dollars and the insurance would have picked the, you know, the entire thing up. But it just goes to show you the inefficiencies of not having that relevant information, both from an expense side, but then also from a patient experience. Well, I mean, I think it's fascinating because you highlight so many of the problems with the historic system, having to rely on your own personal memory to remember where you went, who the doctor was that you saw, then having to That's exactly to right. provide that information, get that from one place to another. And, you know, for, you know, hopefully us with with good memories, that may be one way to do it. But if you're, you know, you're coming in for a problem where you can't remember where you've been even the last few hours, how are you going to be able to provide that information about your medical records? Or if you're unconscious and, and, you know, in an emergency room department, how are you going to provide that information? So again, just speaks to the problem that you're solving. Absolutely. So did you always imagine yourself in this type of a role? Well, for me, it was being an entrepreneur and even in middle school, when we were going through careers class and understand where we want to be, even then I remember saying that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and really start my own company and meeting uh, Michael and Chase allowed for that opportunity for that goal and dream to come a reality. And it's, it's been a pleasure to work with them. You know, Michael, uh, he's currently is the company CEO and, and Chase is our chief product officer to, Jason, who's our chief architect, and and Chris, our chief technology officer. So it's been a pleasure to work with them and really see something that I've always wanted to do, and just as they have, to become really a reality. It's been an absolute pleasure. So how has that been, kind of starting off with, with three founders? How have you, kind of from the outset, made big decisions or kind of shaped the direction of the company? Is it something that's always flown really easily together or is it or is it something that you've worked to kind of develop uh, systems and structures yeah you know that was something that you know we from right out the gate you know we're three equal partners and you know we've always evaluated very strategic business decisions as a team and it's something that you know we hold really close to you know, ourselves and, and our counterparts, that our relationship is something that we hold to a very high degree. And by maintaining that level of, of a relationship amongst the three of us has really been a, a phenomenal experience because we have heard before, you know, having three co-founders can be a bit of a challenge. And But for us, it it really wasn't because the three of us have such a, a unique personality that we all kind of counterbalance each other. And so it it really works out really well and it could have been planned out better. That's fantastic. So is there an entrepreneur or kind of somebody who has really shaped your vision of, of technology or what you want to see in a company? Somebody that you look up to? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily on the technology front, but I think more as a, as a leader, obviously somebody who is fresh out of college, uh, there's an age discrepancy between somebody who has been in the industry uh, that you bring onto the team and, you know, they have 
kids your age. And so it's a position that a lot of people, you know, right out of college are not put in a position. So it requires a very unique thought process and a way to conduct yourselves that, you know, not many people share in that experience. And, you know, the person that has really been a, a mentor in that aspect has been, you know, my father. And my father has spent, you know, his entire career in pharmaceutical R&D and regulatory affairs. And he's been in leadership positions and really has helped provide a really almost an advisor role as to how to conduct oneself and how to lead a team and how to really energize a, a team that otherwise from the outside looking in may look bleak, but, you know, really have a, a really bright lit fire within the team and, you know, really drive forward to meet that objective. I mean, a lot of that has come from him and, you know, I individually would not be where I am today if it wasn't for him and, you know, what he's been able to really help grow myself both personally and professionally. That's great. Well, is there one piece of advice or, or something that kind of stands out in your mind that he's given you that, that you think of often? You know, really listening first and then speaking and really leading by example, you know, it really comes into play as you're building a, a small team, you know, to really hear the differences of different potential options on the table and which way to approach it. And then, you know, even assessing it, a situation, whether it's with a customer or internally, and making sure that all sides are heard and really coming to a, a formal, educated, decisive decision and then standing by it. And that alone really instills confidence because you're taking an unbiased approach into a situation and assessing it rather than jumping the gun and, and really having it as a shooting from the hip mentality. And so that has really been probably one of the, the biggest uh, pieces is, you know, being a leader in an organization and, and growing a, a startup is, you know, really conducting oneself and ensuring that you're really instilling those leadership values to instill the confidence with the team and the customers. So, you know, this is our podcast is the Founder Shares podcast. And so I'd like to ask if there's any advice that you would share with someone who is thinking about starting a company or has recently started a company. What, what would you tell them? What's some advice that you would offer them? First and foremost is assessing what you're building or what you're working on and, and really making sure that there is value out there and that you're addressing a specific problem with the customer. You know, that was one of the things that we first did was we looked and saw, okay, radiology very specific and focus on that niche and built out from there. You know, we were very driven to the detail and I think that they need to really hear out the customers and hear out, you know, their audience of how they can provide that value. I mean, we do that every day. We've got a medical advisory board that also is physicians and consultants that provide input as well on our products and our functionalities and our entire product suite. And to really be open to hearing that feedback and, you know, making sure that they're making the right assessment of what's worth it as an organization. And at times they're going to hear no, either that they're not experienced enough or that they don't have, you know, the, what it takes to really take it to the next level. 
if you have that market and you see the, the challenges and what you can really provide, go for it. I mean, that's the biggest thing is whether it's fundraising or from previous accelerators when we first started applying to, you know, we heard those same things. And, you know, we didn't let that, you know, really affect our vision of the company and really our pathway of what we saw to really address these issues. And they're going to face that. Don't get discredited. Don't get burnt out by it. Go two feet in if you're going to do it and stand by it because it's all worth it. Because at the end of the day, you know, you know best with your own platform, what you're providing to the audience. And if your gut is saying, go for it, then do it. You know, that's probably the, the one thing that I can give to those that are, are listening is don't give up. You know, it's a famous NC State with Jimmy V. Don't ever give up. I love it. That's a perfect way to end it right there. So I appreciate it, Malcolm. Thanks so much for taking the time out and appreciate your willingness to come on and talk to us about your experiences. Absolutely. Thank you, Trevor. That was Malcolm Bennett, co-founder of Medicom Technologies. You can find out more about Medicom by visiting medicom.us. That's M-E-D-I-C-O-M dot U-S. Thank you for listening. If you missed our first two episodes, be sure to check them out. They're with Bob Friedman from SimpleAuctionSite.com and Carl Rectanis from Learn Platform. They're available wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're listening, be sure to leave us a rating or review. This helps us and others as they look to find startup stories like these. And we may even share your review in an upcoming episode. And if you're a founder or business owner in need of legal advice, we'd love to hear from you. Be sure to check us out at hutchlaw.com. That's hutchlaw.com. We have the capacity to help you with just about any legal need your company may be facing. We're passionate about startups and the innovation economy, and we are ready to support you on your entrepreneurial journey. The show was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Trevor Schmidt, and we'll talk to you next time on the Founder Shares podcast.